Hello, my name is Luke Franson, and I am here with Kylie Franson and Luke Glyke, both of whom I share one name with and not the other. Um, we're here talking today about women in ministry. Uh, those of you, okay, you probably got sent this. Um, is it a podcast, recording, whatever? Sure, it's a po- this one's a podcast. This one's a podcast. You probably got sent this podcast um, because we're talking about a structure for a house church. And so the question is, uh, can women be in a leadership role? And so I do want to preface this and say that um, we aren't scholars. We aren't pastors, ministers, ordains, anything like that. We're just a couple of Christians talking about the scriptures, talking about the church. Um, and, and hopefully in that, breaking down the attitude that you have to have a degree to to understand and wrestle with the big questions, right? And so um, there are a few words we're going to be using throughout, and I was given the task of defining them. Um, Big two are complementarian and egalitarian. Complementarian, to put it shortly, believes in male-only leadership. Their name comes from this idea that there are complementary but separate roles for men and women. Egalitarian are the juxtaposed position where they believe (laughs) that women are uh, called to be in leadership and um, all of that stuff. So um, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to like get into it too much right now just with the definitions. But that's the operative language from here forth. Does anybody have anything they want to say? I just want to point out, so as we talk about complementarianism, where we believe women have separate roles and are not meant to be leaders, that does get split into two points. Ah, uh, yes, one point and two point complementarianism. Yeah, would you like to explain that? Uh, yeah, sure. So the one point is that women are supposed to be submissive to the husband. The husband is the head of the household, and that definition varies a lot between how it's actually lived out and applied, especially today. Um, And so women should be submissive, should be quiet, should let the husband make the decisions, typically. And then two point takes that one point, but then adds to it that women should not be leaders in the church. Sometimes going as far as to say women should not even speak in the church. And we're going to look at scripture for all of those. And we're going to kind of parse them apart. And our heart is not necessarily just like, to prove somebody wrong and to tear down the institution and to say complementarians are evil. But too often we take this approach to scripture where we say, take it at face value, that's it, we're done, right? And so we take it at face value, but what happens is we ignore the scripture. We ignore the things that confuse us. We ignore the things that are not even just confusing, but just don't seem in line with some of the other scripture we know or the things we know about the nature of God even. Uh, And so that's how we want to approach this today is not at a face value and not at an overly scholarly approach, but at the question I think should be at the heart of every Christian, every disciple's pursuit of scripture is how can I get to the most truthful way that most honors what the writers of the Bible intended its intention to be. This is a very old book, and to apply it at face value, I think, does a disservice to the writers, to the Father, to everything we're meant to be pursuing, um, and to take away the 
context of this, I think, takes away kind of its literary purpose. Yeah. Um, and to remember that literary does not mean fictional. It just means <laughs> the point of reading the story, reading the history of it. Okay, so you're talking about taking the scripture at face value. What's a scripture taken at face value that shouldn't be? And why not? So, <laughs> I mean, we have a list here, but I think two of the really big ones, that, just for the start of the household conversation, sure, um, would be Ephesians 5, 21 through 27, and then 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 12, there's, uh, the bulk of it's in 7, 12, um, where they just say, wives should submit to their husbands because he is the head of the house. Okay, that seems pretty straightforward, not open to a lot of interpretation, to me at least. Possibly, but nobody has any definition for what head of the house means. Does it just mean he should make the money? Are women not allowed to work? Does it mean he should make the decision about how the whole family practices faith? Or how the children are raised? Does being the head of the house, um, as some argue that head means source, right? And so that's fine. I don't have necessarily a problem with that understanding. Like the head of a river is the source of the river in Greek, that same word. But that doesn't really help you make a definition on either side. If I tell you the man is the source of the household, Lucas, what do you think it means for the man to be the source of the household? I, well, the woman takes the man's name. That's I, well, it's, that's all I got. <laughs> I he know. also provides sperm to create children. Yeah, like and in source that of context, the household, you have to have so biology. I'm not a biology. <laughs> uh, we do have one here, but I'm gonna no, butcher it. We'll see. <laughs> I'm gonna butcher it. Trying to explain it, but like, yeah. I'll grade the paper. You need, uh, what are they, gametes? Two gametes? Two separate gametes? Yeah, actually. Yeah? And then two, they make to uh, join. Um, what do they make? I don't know. I don't remember. A zygote? Zygote. Oh, yeah, 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 Awful. Yeah. So you get the chromosomes from each. They join, and they create basically a combination of the two. What's your point in bringing this up? Um, that's like when you say he is the source of the household, he literally like uh, but creates our, that. Our biological understanding is that they're pretty much equal partners in both their respective yes. gametes. And so something I wanted to bring up, again, why it's really important to remember who the people of the Bible, writing the Bible, yes. and reading the Bible are. They likely did not have an understanding that a woman releases an egg. Their understanding is the woman houses the men's seed. Like They literally called it seed. Because their understanding is, I put a seed in the fertile ground. So do you mean that Paul of Tarsus did not have a biology degree? He did not. That's <laughs> <blessed. laughs> for me. And so there's, there's some argument, there's so much confusion about what head of the household means. The Bible doesn't really say it, does it? No. But the context of marriage then versus marriage now is all we have then to go off of. Yeah. The marriage then, women didn't have schooling, didn't have much of anything. You were sold, basically sold, into your marriage. Sold, like hold on, let's talk 13. about a dowry. Yeah, dowry. sorry, you didn't get one, dear. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm missing from my biblical marriage. I could really use it's a some dowry. Of that. Yeah. Pay off some of that college tuition. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, you and me both could <laughs> pay off your tuition. Well. Um, but honestly, that's the context of marriage at this point is you're, you raise up the daughter... She doesn't go to school. She maybe learns, you know, how to sew, how to cook, how to do things for the household. She likely does not bring any money in unless she happens to be sewing and selling clothing or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then she gets married, and pretty quickly, 
pops out children and repeats that cycle, mm-hmm. does the same thing. And that's not to say there was no honor in that by any means. A woman is saved through childbearing. We're going to talk about that later. That's about Gnosticism. Uh, oh, ah. Spicy. But that's for later. <laughs> Foreshadowing. I to insert my own... Well, and to, I guess, um, if I have any role for this conversation, I would like to um, offer common complementarian arguments and defenses and things like that. I think that's really important. Um, And we're going to attach some resources to the description on this recording. And one of them, I think, did a really good job of walking through the arguments of each side just trying as hard as they can to stick to the text and I think they did a good job of representing in fullness both sides as that side would give it rather than an egalitarian trying to say this is what's wrong with it which is a little bit what we're doing and so representing that here I think is important. Now why is it so important to argue the egalitarian view to you? Yeah so this is something uh, Lucas and I talked about this a little bit of we've seen it in our own lives where it's really hard for us to imagine, you know, you grew up and your mom was the head of your household because your parents were divorced and you lived with your mom. Yeah. Were you going to be the head of your household at? I (laughs) hope not. I listen, like let alone it being literally illegal for me to do that. Um, just, you mean to, like, get a job and, and take care of everybody and all that? Yeah, at age 12. Um, let alone it being that, it's just I'm not in the position to do that. I don't have the life experiences at, like, base level. I don't have the life experiences, the knowledge to even go out and do that. And so I think some of the issue in that instance is the argument of complementarianism. So often what happens is that it comes to such an extreme where the point being made is women are not capable and it has to do with our biology right and so in that instance we don't have a system where when a woman is widowed divorced anything like that she and her family are taken care of we have a system where okay go get a job and work and take care of your kids um and i think for me why this is so important is i didn't grow up in the church when i got into church I was immediately in a system where women led. It just wasn't a big deal. Nobody really talked about it. And I was put in leadership and I was just leading. And then I came into the argument of a complementarian and I was faced with, I'm gonna look at the scripture. I'm gonna study what I can. I'm gonna get all the knowledge I can. But if I come to the conclusion that I shouldn't even be speaking in a church setting, not a building, but when the people are gathered, Because that means, you know, no small group, no Bible study. This podcast, if we consider whenever two or three are gathered, there I am with them. Mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to speak. I kind of, before I even started looking, said, if I go into this and I believe what they say is taking face value here, do I still want to follow Christ? Do I want to even just say, I want to still be saved, I'll still believe in Jesus, but I'm kind of done practicing my faith. Well, on that, what's left to practice if everything you were doing? <laughs> right. Look, like, just... I can read my Bible quietly no. at home, and maybe, so the argument is sometimes made, well, women could speak in the church when the church gathered, but only when the part of the church gathered was women only. Yeah. Right? There's no scriptural context for that. There's no scriptural basis for the understanding that maybe they had gendered meetings. That's read 
hard into the text to explain all the passages where women prophesy. Mm -hmm. As far as I know, you can't prophesy without speaking. And we have two, three verses, (laughs) uh, one of them being in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, that say prophecy is for the building up of the church. The women church. Right. Yeah, that's totally not Uh, in the text. (laughs) So so I'll ask the question. Um, You bring that up. Do you think you would have given up your faith if you found complementarianism to be the most biblically accurate? And if so, doesn't that kind of seem like picking and choosing what you want to believe? So, if I had found it to be biblically accurate and then said, no, too bad, I'm going to keep living and keep leading in the church, I believe it would have been picking and choosing. And that was kind of my decisions I was faced with were really figure out what I believe from the scripture, base it on the scripture. And then your options are stop speaking in the church if you find it to be true. Find it to be true and live in, honestly, sin because you don't have faith in what you're doing. Or if I don't find it to be biblically true, come to understand what the truth is and live by that. And I'm grateful that I found it to be the third option Um, But I think part of why this is important, uh, Luke Stein had talked about, it's not necessarily essential to each individual, right? I believe that a man or a woman can believe women shouldn't even speak when gathered with church members who are male. And they can still be saved, and they can still teach other truths. But I do believe when we just start saying, that's not essential, we're not going to talk about it, we can affect salvation, discipleship, faith for other people. How? Uh, If I had not been a Christian when I started wrestling with these questions, I don't know that I would have believed in God. If I came up to a system and that system told me it is inherent in our system that you are not allowed to actually do anything but quietly read your Bible, you can't participate in the church, you certainly can't lead it, and you're also supposed to sit down and be quiet at home, I don't know that I would have believed it. I don't know that I would have been able to wrap my head around a God who did believe that for me. Thankfully, what I learned first was the salvific power of Christ's death and resurrection in my life and being a new creation. But if that wasn't first for me, I can't tell you I would be a Christian. I know a lot of women who just run away from the church because they've been treated as lesser beings and as much absolutely sometimes complementarians do a much better job and don't necessarily just treat women as second-class citizens but even if they do as much as they can in love it can still feel like there's such a limit and if you look at the traditional institutionalized church structure okay, well, you can teach the children, but you could never go to seminary and teach on the stage and edify the whole church. Just the kids. Just the kids. Does that not feel second class? Does that not speak to second class? And they say, well, but the children are so important, and they're the next generation. You say, yes, but but if a man can do both and a woman can only do one... Yeah, who's the restricted entity? Yes. And so, while not essential to each individual, I think... If we don't actively seek knowledge of the truth in all things and to constantly be 
knowing more about the Father, his heart, his representation for his people, how am I supposed, or let's say, you know, I do believe in the empowerment of women. I've done, let's say I've done the study, but I don't know if I believe in Christ yet. Yeah. I'm certainly not going to come in to belief and into community and into church if all I see around me are people that see something as true that I know is not true. How am I supposed to believe that you have an ultimate truth? Mm. Yeah. If you hold so closely to something, I can go read a few articles on and see. Maybe it's the, not so. At the very least, maybe it's it's more gray than we like to. Yes. Think. Okay, so uh, Lucas, do you have any thoughts? No, I mean you kind of hit it right on the head. Like, I, I remember uh, talking about this with you earlier, asking about like, well asking those those or taking those scriptures at face value doesn't really mean like that those people will uh believe more or people that actually don't look into it believe less i think what what you're trying to get at is like and you know described is that the people who it's, do it's dig the opposite more. yeah and so i think that's a really important point to bring up that like a lot of um ultra conservative branches of christianity are seen as taking it more seriously than some of the other less conservative branches of Christianity. And here we are arguing that it's actually the complete opposite, that those who just take the scripture and, oh, this is what it means, let's pull two verses and live our lives based off of that, maybe those that dig a little bit more might be doing more honor to the text. Yeah. I think, Lucas, you brought up an excellent point in that earlier of... um what happens is they say, I'm looking for a rule book and I will follow it perfectly. And that means I care more about the text. Yeah. And if we were meant to do that, would we not still live under Mosaic law? If we were meant to just have rules, would we not? And instead, this is a conversation for another time. And we have done teachings on this yeah. on the same podcast that this is in. But we are not meant to live under the law, but by faith. And if Romans 14 wants to say that something can be in faith for you, but not for me, yeah. maybe we shouldn't treat gray area as dishonoring, Yeah. but instead we should treat the gray area as genuinely digging into our faith, which can increase. Like we have scripture about increasing faith. Okay. So, um, all that in mind, um, I would consider the introduction done. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's get into a few verses. We're about 20 minutes in. Um, what I really want, I don't want so much as an argument um, for the egalitarian perspective. What I really want is um, bring us along the journey of seeking. Yeah. What does that look like for you? Um, you know, I, I spent a few months looking into the stuff and I thought I was going to end up a complementarian. Um, because that's what I thought the scripture <laughs> said, right? So, so I just, not so much as an argument, but a journey. Yeah. So what does that look like for, for both of you? You know, like Luke, you're absolutely welcome to chime in. Um, <laughs> if you have any thoughts or questions or, or commentary uh, as well. I can walk through a little bit of it. Um, I'll definitely say that I was kind of, <sighs> when I first started questioning, uh, now what I know to be complementarianism versus egalitarianism I didn't have those words to put to it yeah. um, but reading scripture 
uh, reading, uh, there's a few verses that we'll go over in like Timothy and First Corinthians. Um, reading some of those scriptures, it definitely seemed like there was these kind of like cut and dry kind of you know differences. And myself, I was I was kind of in the in the mind mindset of like, well, if if somebody has something on their heart from God, like why should they why shouldn't they be allowed to share that? You know? Sure, and and. Although, to be fair, um, maybe it's not their place to share it. We've run into that before where people think they have, like, something big and big news and all that stuff, and all they want to do is talk, but it's a detriment to the church. Yeah. So, personally, I don't think asking big questions like that is enough to defend egalitarianism just based off that alone. And I know no, that's not no, what you're doing, yeah. but it started that yeah. thought process for you. Yep. I just want to add that disclaimer. Well, and I think the danger is people have that big thought yeah. and they decide for themselves. Just and right off the bat. Yeah. Instead of, I have this question, what does scripture say? Mm-hmm. And why does this not make sense? Because I think one of the biggest things for me is genuinely taking the whole Bible, but also most of this is from Paul, right? Yeah. So you take Paul's ministry all in context. There are female servants or deacons named. There's argument about Junia or being Junius, which was really just changed by editors, (laughs) who is considered an apostle. Yeah. There's, um, Philip has four unnamed, but daughters, clearly daughters, who prophesy. Yeah. There's Old Testament, there's an Old Testament judge named Mm -hmm. Deborah, which was the highest point you could be for Israel um, and is actually ordained by God rather than the kingship which is mm-hmm. man-made and a concession the Lord allows so you have all these examples of okay m- women can lead not they're always supposed to be, le- be the leader and that's yeah. the default but women do lead and Paul seems to include women in his ministry says like oh the the church that meets in your household do you host people and not say anything <laughs> and so There are these questions, and instead of explaining them ourselves, I think we need to dig into the scripture. Yeah. And so I want to do that. I want to look at some specific verses. I think we may as well kind of hit the household thing first. Sure. Um, Since whether you are one point or two point complementarianism, you believe in the household part. And I also think that one's just a little simpler, quite frankly. There's less that confuses us. The conversation becomes about, does this scripture... Like the two we mentioned earlier, Ephesians 5, 21 through 27, 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 12. This scripture that says, submit to your husband because he's the head. What is the difference between that's because God instituted marriage to be this way? Or this is a conversation about the social hierarchy that you are in. This is how you should respectfully live within it. So if it is the first one the defense for that might be um, if if we're just getting into it um, in the fall in Genesis 3 the woman's um, desires are against her husband right? Yes. Well maybe. <laughs> so the Greek text has this word that gets read as either, depends on your translation your desires will be contrary to your husband or your desires will be toward your husband. You'll see sometimes um, on either side, they argue very definitively to one or the other, and they try to say, well, if sin's 
desire is contrary to you in a different verse, like the next chapter, that makes more sense. But if sin desires towards you to have you or against you to go against what you should be doing, what would be most beneficial, they both make sense. And they both could make sense. Shoot. In Genesis 3.16. <laughs> so as much as I love, as much as anybody, the conversation about the Greek and our translation and how we can miss things with the nuances of language, I don't think we can have a definitive answer on that end. But what directly follows is your desire will be towards or against your husband, but he will rule over you. That's egregious. And so the... That could mean good or bad. That is the point he is making. It's a joke. Yes, <laughs> egregious has two opposite definitions. Uh, but that is that is the same for this word. And so what happens is we argue and we argue about whether what it could possibly mean if you have... If my desire is toward my husband, shouldn't that be good? Well, it's not if it's so much so that he rules unfairly over me that he just is a tyrant over me. If I do whatever he wants and not what the Lord wants which is essentially what Adam did actually on the other side. And so now Eve will do the same, right? All right. Um, Y'all know I love Genesis 3. (laughs) I spent a lot of time with this. And so I realistically believe that that conversation of you brought your husband along in this and hurt him, and he cared more about you than the Lord, and now you are in a position where you will do that because you took him with you. Now, what about the argument that the husband was created first and then Adam from him? Or, sorry, Eve from him. Whoops. Um, so, we'll talk about it in a minute. So, 1 Timothy 2 does emphasize that. Jumping ahead. Um, I think to just say a... So, what happens is you say, man was created first. Yep. And uh, first in order makes you first in... Power? Think of it as being like the line leader, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bro, I was the line leader, and you know what? I was I was the big man on campus. <laughs> right. And so I guess you can kind of make that argument. I think it's a very weak argument. And what gets you kind of screwed over there is, okay, but Eve's the one that leads Adam to the tree. Well, and so there's also, I, I don't know if anybody knows anything, but it's kind of a floating conjectural theory that they were actually agendered. Uh, until, until yes. Eve came, so, male and female. Um, Gnosticism them. really, really pulled on that. But the reason that comes up is not inherently Gnostic. Genesis is written by three different authors that kind of got jammed together. What? And a lot of people don't <laughs> know that, and then they make arguments about the differences in the creation story and yeah. were they this and that. And it's literally just because there were three authors trying to explain the same the thing. Three different creation yes. stories. Yes. So people get kind of confused. They get upset between two and three. It's because they weren't trying to speak to each other. They were just trying to tell the same story, and they had slightly different information passed down orally. I'm personally okay with it. I don't really care if they were created at the same time or not at the same time. I don't care who was first. If scripture wanted to be very explicit that man was created first because he would have power, cool. But instead, it pretty explicitly says God gave dominion to both of them, to mankind. So I think you run into issues with that. I think Genesis 3 gets argued that this happened because woman took authority over the man. But you don't see that. Yes, Eve is deceived and leads her husband. But you don't see Eve, like, dragging him by the hair no. and forcing it down no. his throat. Yeah. That's not... As far as we know. <laughs> right. But part of the consequence of sin is 
man rules over woman. Or at least Adam rules over Eve, right? We okay. like to read it as everything that ever happened to them is true for all mankind. Yeah, which is not symbolic of all mankind. But they are symbolic. Absolutely. Alright. I'm I'm personally on board with that interpretation, but at the same time, Adam is cursed to work the ground, and not every single man I know works the ground. But mankind in general does have to work in order to live. Well, and sustainable, well, even not sustainable, not not anymore. (laughs) Um, Agriculture really did start to um, form societies instead of like just roaming nomadic groups of people. Built them up, yeah. Uh, Yeah, so I I will just kind of throw that in there that agriculture is important to the development of human society. So all that to say, Genesis 3.16, where it talks about the woman's desire, ultimately I don't think is a big arguing point for either side, but ultimately... So you would say not only can it not be used to reinforce complementarianism, but it it can't even, it's not really reinforced with egalitarianism. No, I think the closest you get for either side is to say if man ruling, if Adam ruling over his wife is part of a consequence of sin, then it's not how it was supposed to be. That's about as close as you get. That's about as close as you can get. And even then, that's a little bit shaky. I think it's shaky simply because we don't fully know what the first part means. Okay. Because Um, that could be, you know, he will rule over you, and that's only problematic because of the desire. So you also mentioned uh, societal hierarchies and operating within them. What is your defense for that interpretation of the scripture? If if you say, Mm. okay, one-point complementarianism, man is the head of the household, oh, that's just for those people in that time. Can you just, is that is that kind of your um, platitude that you just apply to the scripture, or is that... <laughs> Not necessarily. ...something you can defend, and if so, so I think, how? I think taking the heart of the text is important no matter what. Yeah. The question is, is the heart of the text about the submission of the woman? Maybe, but that's where I always go to... Colossians 3, 18 through 22. You have another uh, scripture. Yes. Where what happens in this one, it says, I'm going to paraphrase. Women or wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your fathers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Slaves, obey your masters. And so I think if we're going to read about context of how to act within a relationship that is a social hierarchy marriage at that point was much more about societal hierarchy than it ever was about love can i I get a dowry please i'm sorry ask my dad (laughs) oh your dad's giving me plenty i'm not (laughs) (laughs) let's be honest i've got a dowry for you yes you have (laughs) (laughs) um and so i think however you interpret it you should be able to apply all the way through i look as you gave that not just one part yeah yeah you gave the analogy of the the scantron test you're taking a scantron test right you know that so one answer is all the above and you know two of the five answers are correct either it's a bad test or it's all the above you can't just like like, you have to apply it all the way through if it is all correct yes Yes. okay and if they're not all correct but multiple are but you're not allowed to select multiple you have a faulty test okay or or a mean teacher who didn't tell you that you could pick two answers 
I, I had a teacher that had multiple choice, multiple answer. Yeah. Those were the worst that's... exams I've ever taken in my right. life. Now, if you at least know, that's helpful, but it's still hard. <laughs> and so it my, wasn't um, helpful. <laughs> I just, I thought that was a helpful analogy of when you decide to interpret scripture some way, you have to be able to apply it all the way through. So if I take, you read it at face value, and if God, if God, Paul, I don't like saying God wrote scripture because so many men's hands have been on it, and women's. Um, However, if honorable Christians who are inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote this down, and you say you should always take it at face value, and if they wrote it, that means that God himself ordains the institution talked about, right? And ordains marriage to be about the submission of the woman where she doesn't at the very least she doesn't make major decisions you need to be able to apply that to every social hierarchy children wives and now slaves yeah now to be fair in the 19th century there was that argument that the lord had ordained slavery and so um what if he what if he did what if he didn't what if he does so my argument there would be to take into context 1 Corinthians 7.21, where Paul writes, and he says, let me actually read this one because it's relatively quick. And he says, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. And so then there just starts to be this conversation of, don't worry about your social hierarchy place. Don't worry about that. You can still be used by the Lord. The yeah. Lord can still save you. You can... That's a lot of the conversation to slaves and to wives is your conduct in your submission because that is how this hierarchy is placed and what is expected of you might even bring truth, love, salvation to yeah. others. But... That doesn't mean it's how it should be. Yeah. There's a proper way to have a. There's a proper way to be enslaved. There's a proper way to own slaves. There's a proper way to be polygamous. There's a proper way to have a concubine. There's but that doesn't a, mean that that's the way it. Right. The way it always will be. Now, and two, I will. Slavery it was very different in the 19th century yes. in the United States than it was. Um, in the letter to the church in Corinth because he uses the word bondservant. Yes. Yeah. And that's part of why I like the ESV. Because I think it's yeah. there's so much slavery language in the Bible. If we are thinking only of American slavery, we are in trouble. Yes. However, the idea that you can buy a person's life, buy a person, like to buy a person for your use, is not something anybody likes, even if you treat them well. That's why Paul says, if you can buy your freedom, if you can gain your freedom, do avail it. yourself. Yeah. And you brought up, how do you say it, Philemon? Uh, Philemon. How did, how yeah. did, how did Philemon. you say Philemon? Philemon. Philemon. So we were saying it wrong, and we looked it Doesn't... up, and it said Philemon, because it was kind of like Philemon. <laughs> so I won't forget it now. <laughs> um, but that whole letter is, I am sending this man back to you, who Treat was like a bondservant. Yeah. Please treat him like he's free. Please let him be a brother. Yeah. I, and we obviously see that Paul that was like, he's not advocating for slavery. And like, again, we'll, we'll say that it's slavery was different. Um, as far as I know it, like, 
and there's probably different forms, but like you could do it. It was there was a form of bond servant, uh, servancy, whatever you want to call it, where you would you were in debt to a person and to and pay it pay off. off your debt. You think about yeah. um, oh my goodness, sharecroppers. Nope, oh. biblical story. Oh, <laughs> 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 is, is it Jacob that works for seven years for yeah. his wives? Yeah, it's Jacob. Yeah. Okay, um, Jacob who becomes Israel. And instead of paying a dowry, he does work for seven yep. years for nothing more than housing and eventually to have his wife. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he get tricked for the first Yes, seven he years? sure does. Right. That's a different <laughs> Um But uh, not to get years. too far into the conversation of whether or not God, like, permits, uh, permits or ordains. Yeah. And I think that's the differentiation we have to make. You don't think the Bible's speaking either way. It's not permitting, ordaining, it's not... Um, I think... In not forbidding, there is a level of permitting. In the same way of divorce, I am not ordaining this. I am not even telling you I want this or that it is ideal or that it is beneficial. But that's when Christ says it's a concession of but your heart and heart. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so I would treat slavery and the any hierarchy that is made by man to be what it is, which I would yeah. argue marriage is because it changes with man. And we have very little scripture about God's speaking to marriage rather than than what the man-made institution already is and how to live within it in a way that honors who you know the Lord to be and represents him well. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, God really doesn't care about you know those those man-made distinctions yeah. you know so much as you know the man-made emphasis is put on that uh in galatians three twenty-eight, uh it says there is neither jew nor greek uh neither slave nor free uh no male and female for all are one in christ jesus um and so having a verse like that you would say that like all of these verses are about how to act within an institution that's man-made and then if we are in Christ, things get a lot more open and, uh, dare I say, egalitarian. Arguably. I would say, you know, it's about... I think our lives are about representing the Father. We all are made in the image of God. There starts with that, but then we're called to represent Christ. Uh, we're called ambassadors of Christ, right? And so there's this conversation of you are representing God in the situation you're in, but then that Galatians verse speaks to, but it's about being one in Christ, not about being a male who represents it. Not about being a slave or a master or a Jew or a Greek, but about being all together, one in the same and in unity in Christ. But I also think this verse is one for the egalitarian conversation. It gets argued about. Egalitarians love it. We use it for everything. Uh, We like to say... (laughs) It doesn't matter. You can do anything no matter who you are. This, I, is, this is the blanket verse. And, and I All think one in Christ. On one hand, it is a really important verse. The argument complementarians make is, okay, but it's just about receiving inheritance, being able to be saved. Yeah. And in context, it is about the uh, blessing and the promise given to Abraham that you can now be children of faith. But I would argue that being a child of faith and being inherited into the kingdom of God is not simply about salvation. It's about inheriting a ministry. It says we're co-ministers with Christ. I can't be a minister and not speak in the church and we will I think it's a good time to maybe get into that discussion of 
okay, so maybe that verse explicitly doesn't say women can do ministry, right? I'm okay with that. I'm, I don't think that's the point. The point is to be that your, no. your identity is in yeah. Christ. Okay, so uh, let's talk about verses that talk about women in ministry. So, uh, we got a bunch that say they can't. We got two. A bunch. <laughs> a bunch. A two bushel. sets of scripture. <laughs> a um, and so Sorry, there are a couplet. <laughs> two really big ones. First one is in 1 Corinthians 14. I'd like to give... So here's the deal with 1 Corinthians 14. And all scripture context is important, right? But 1 Corinthians 14, it's actually right after the love chapter. If the you were love curious. chapter. And so if you read 1 Corinthians, I mean, as a letter as it was written, but even just 12 through 14 straight talk about gifts of the spirit and then paul gives this big emphasis that love is better than the gifts right then you get to 14 and he explains love is better than the gifts you all want to have the gifts so much but focus on building the church up you want to prophesy you want to speak in tongues but you're not using them orderly right he says god is a god of order not chaos and so he's in there he's telling them you know don't just give a tongue and don't interpret. Stop prophesying over each other. If you all prophesy, nobody can hear you. And so there's the verse that, so it's kind of at a verse break because the verses were just inserted by man. They weren't there originally. Uh, Paul didn't write it with verse numbers? He actually, 14. no, he did not. 14. Um, and it says- Why'd you write that number there? Uh, so it's 30, 33 and 34. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 33 and 34. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. So to me, that that sounds like um, women don't really have a place. And it's very straightforward if you read it just like that, not in the context, not trying to understand what Paul was saying to this church. It says, as in all, all the, churches the churches of the saints. Right. So, what's your response? What, what do you so, say to that? Um, from all the research I've done, I get two big responses about, maybe three, about contextualizing. One is the exact same phrase about not speaking is literally just a few verses above, and it's not about women. Right? It says, if there is no one to interpret a tongue, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So that keeping silent in the church is about interrupting and speaking uselessly in a way that doesn't edify the body. The other argument kind of gets into the Greek. I'm not sure exactly how much water it holds as like the Greek is the end all be all of this conversation, but I think the logic of it is important because um, two, two chapters earlier, Paul talks about women prophesying. Yeah. And I think I mentioned this earlier, but if prophesying is meant to edify the church, you probably do it with the church. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so there's this emphasis on it says they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. And that word speak is kind of just talk. Like it's used all over the place. It means nothing but talk. And I think about, I've been in these situations where somebody is prophesying. Somebody is speaking and earlier in 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about prophecy as revealing the secrets of the heart. And over in the other corner, there are two people talking, Giggling, like just talking, chatting, just whispering, going, ooh, that sounded harsh. No chatter in church. And 
And that's kind of the interpretation that gets taken is chatter. But even if it's not chatter, we're talking about using the spiritual gifts to edify one another when the church comes together and you're just talking. Just sitting there chatting. And you've got so many people prophesying that you're talking over one one another and you're going to talk too? Yeah. Shut up! (laughs) There's a different time and place to catch up on your week. And so a big part... No. I guess the third part of this... um, is right after it says they should not per- they are not permitted to speak. Says if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it's shameful for one to speak or talk or chatter in church. So there's the th- there's four arguments I lied. So the third argument is that you have to take into context that women are not allowed to learn at this point. The women of the early church are. It's almost radical that they're allowed to be there. I think about the story where um, Martha, 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 right? (laughs) Where Martha's running around doing everything saying... Don't be a Martha. Right. And I think there's value in that lesson. I've certainly needed that lesson a few times, right? Like, just sit down and be at the feet of Jesus. But what they don't... What I think we miss in our context is Mary probably shouldn't have been sitting at the feet of Jesus learning. The women didn't learn, not from the teachers, not from the rabbis. They didn't learn. They served, they cooked, they got dinner ready. It's a huge deal that Jesus says, I am not going to take this from her. At the same time, they have no background of the Jewish history, the Jewish stories, what it means to be a Christian. They don't have, I hate to say this, but like, they don't have a good idea of how to critically think for the (laughs) most part, you know? And that can be grown and I hope that grows as we grow in the church but at the historical context you've probably not been to school at all yeah yeah none none and I mean like it, it so like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus that's like I, that's be, a big deal yeah like it could be seen as like a waste of time because there's other things that she could be doing preparing uh yeah. the meals cleaning the house raising uh, there weren't kids there but raising the kids you know but instead <laughs> learning instead she's learning yeah. yeah and so um when women aren't allowed to ask questions why do you think that is i would say given the context of all the interruption all the chaos happening it's simply because it's a distraction if you can ask that question at home Ask it at home. And so if, if you know, somebody comes into a church meeting and they're asking, like, big basic questions like New Covenant, Old Covenant, what do those mean? And everybody in the church is just kind of, like, face palm, like, uh, and turns around. <laughs> so what? What? And if the entire church doesn't understand, I believe that's a point at which instead of these gifts of prophecy and tongues that are going wild somebody will likely be gifted with the gift of teaching and talking about yeah those covenants and all that stuff (laughs) and i think some of the context missing for us is the institutionalized church we go to you sit everybody sits 500 people in the pews and one man teaches yeah that's not how that's not how they were meeting they were prophesying speaking tongues everybody's got a part everybody's participating and i'm interrupting you prophesying over the sin that is deep in your brother's heart. Uh, hey, wait a minute. What, is, what does the word transgression mean? Like, can you please just wait? Are, like, you, are you serious right now? <laughs> and so I think we miss huge parts of the heart of this piece, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want newcomers to the faith interrupting in our church context either. 
right? Yeah. There's also one big question that does get ignored that I think is worth mentioning but is not the end-all be-all okay. for this set of scripture. And it is, it, this chunk about women feels like it just kind of like pops into the text. We're talking about gifts, we're talking about interruption, we're talking about not respecting one another. I mean, because they did kind of cover their whole bases when they said before, let each yeah. man be, like, shut let up each, if you don't yeah, have an interpretation yeah. and let one, an, like, prophesy one at a time, right? Okay. Then it comes it back to everybody. that idea after, right? comes back to, um, if anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized, earnestly desire prophecy, do not forbid speaking in tongues, right? Like, comes right back. It feels a little, I don't know, inserted into the text. And so you think, like, that little bit was edited in? So not necessarily, I think, the scholars of the text of the old Greek writings, we have this text without that verse, without that set of verses. We have this text with that set of verses. We have copies of text where it was edited in and they were trying to put it somewhere else. Oh, whoops. Um... And so, caught red-handed with now, that one. <laughs> my point being, I don't know that I believe Paul wrote this. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe it got lost and they were being faithful editors who put it back in and we just don't have that old of a copy. Okay. Maybe they were faithful editors who said, I know what was happening in Corinth because that's been passed down. And I think it's important we share that the women were causing huge issues because they were just speaking while everybody's prophesying and this and might be a bit of a stretch yeah. and doing all that stuff it might be a stretch to say but maybe that they could use that to then say hey like to further prevent this educate your woman yes yeah. and so we can oh. put a very positive view in here right so often all we want to do all a lot of women scholars want to do is say women are oppressed and everything that's ever been done has been used to oppress us maybe not i'm so okay with that maybe that scripture was really put in there to say like your education of women is now your responsibility as a husband take care of business and get her on board get her on the same page for the most part you got to think about women as children at this point first of all they're getting married at 12 they are children literally yes in the scholarly sense in the scholarly sense their education level is like a very young child yeah they're worse than undergraduate their like brain (laughs) development is out of a 12 year old and they've never been taught. And I think, you know, we see this in the modern church. So often we send our kid off to children's ministry and we don't talk to our kids. Yeah, we right. don't train them up. Yeah. Imagine they walk in, they go from being in like a children's ministry, like everybody raises their hand and talks. And then you bring them to a church meeting of the adults. Yeah. And I'm prophesying and he's like, what's transgression? What's a covenant? Stop. <laughs> Wait, Jesus' Jesus's death was that bad? <laughs> like, what? you know, like... I'm going to scream. <laughs> and so, all of that to say, and I think it's an important concept to bring in, like, you immediately went to this very healthy idea of, if we don't recognize yeah. the women are uneducated, we can't educate them. Yeah. <laughs> but women... A lot of times we get so stuck in it, and I understand, like, it is so important that we are not, you know, the treatment of second-class citizens. I'm not denying that at all. But I think sometimes we will go to really far lengths. When I said I was willing to be a complementarian, I meant it. I wanted truth over comfort, over happiness. 
But um, we'll talk about this actually with the First Timothy verse. We can go ahead and get into that. But I yeah, I was gonna say sometimes we, we cannot talk about no yeah. We the first talk Timothy about two bomb without talking about the first Timothy two bomb, but also <laughs> Gnosticism. Yes, yeah. and so uh, if you want to pull that up, Lucas, I just I'm gonna finish yeah, this I thought. I guess Do you want me to start that. at verse eleven? Yeah, Let's, give me uh, one second. Okay. So I think sometimes, okay. and I think it. this is important context. It's easy to really seek my story, my side, what I want to be true to be true, and to do whatever it takes to get there. Yeah, I think that's inappropriate. I think it's dangerous because we have a lot of scholars now um, who really, really want Gnosticism, as we find more and more text and information, to end up being basically the same, but we let women teach. And the danger is Gnosticism is not anywhere near the same. And it wasn't until, I mean, within the last 50 years, we started finding Gnostic texts yeah, and seeing, yeah. oh, wow. They teach some wildly different things. And so I'm going to read First Timothy 2 and talk about a lot of the main points of contention, but also when we ignore what doesn't make sense with it and the logical gaps, we just say, just take it at face value. Just take each sentence individually if you have to. Pretend there's a logical connection when there's not. When in reality, if we knew the context of the ancient Israelites reading this, suddenly, this is about Gnosticism. So, let's uh, let's bring up the bomb. Let's have him read it. Yeah, that's that. First that's Timothy. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> First Timothy two, uh, starting in verse eleven. Let a woman learn quietly with all submit submissiveness. Uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Uh, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Yikes. There's actually like three bombs here. Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) Boom! Boom! (laughs) Okay, so... um, I feel like first read through. Um, I am pretty uncomfortable with having you on a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can no longer. I'm just gonna head out. Yeah, I just, I just want to say that right now. Um, read that scripture and then look at what I'm doing, and I don't like it. Right. I don't so I would like say, it. few things. I want to make a few points. The first couple, we're gonna go in order. Couple points about the Greek. One is this, learn quietly with all submissiveness. That same Greek phrase of, like, learning quietly with submissiveness, like, that set, is often used about young men when they are being discipled, um, learning from rabbis. That's not necessarily specific to women, but it sure sounds like the women Timothy's talking to have that issue. Like, have that issue as in they're not? As in they're not. And a big important piece of context that we have from Timothy is he's with Ephesus. And Ephesus was a Gnostic hotspot. Gnostic hotspot. Is that like the thing where you get like the Wi-Fi? The Wi-Fi, yeah, yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, learn quietly with all submissiveness, maybe isn't like that big of a deal. Like, right? Sure. So we should probably uh, all do that, right? I, honestly, yeah. Yeah. Um, it goes for men, women, children, dogs. No, no, that, doesn't, yes. that doesn't seem like all that Dogs. bad. Yeah, so yeah, there's another point that comes up throughout it. You'll notice in the ESV, which is what Lucas read, it says a woman, right? A woman. 
so some translations will just make it women because it just is less awkward. But the Greek is a woman. There is argument that this is about a specific woman that Timothy asked yeah. about, and we've just lost her name in translation. And I mean, in the above verses, uh, it does use the uh, like the plural form, yes. so Wim- goes, women. You know, and goes and then, from this is how women should act. Yes, I or let a woman, or maybe that woman, or maybe let's say I don't know, Sophie. It's my dog's name. Sure, um, let Sophie. Learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit Sophie to teach or exercise authority. Rather, she should remain quiet. Let me get into the... the, So, I'm not 100% sold. I'm not saying I'm sold. I'm just saying there is that possibility. There's a possibility because, like, you have to think about, like, if this is being, you know, transcribed, you know, passed around, you probably want to transcribe it a few times because if it gets passed around, it's going to wear out. Paper was expensive, too. So, you want to make sure that it, it lasts... Um, you know, you still have that that letter intact. <laughs> it goes from I, Sophie to some woman to that woman to a woman. Like Sophie, so say like sixty years down the road, Sophie really doesn't mean much to you at the time. So you're just like, I don't know who this Sophie is. I'll just put yeah. a woman. Yes. Or that and then woman. They say that woman, and they get confused, and they're like, well, it's just a woman, right? Yeah. So there, there's that argument. I'm not like sold on sold it. on that by any means, but uh, but again, sounds like conjecture. As far as not well, not ignoring what's weird. Yeah. I think that's important. But I don't know that it matters whether it's a woman, all the women in Ephesus, or women everywhere all the time. Yeah. Because the next verse is the one, that's the bomb. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. I don't care if that's about all women, and here's why. Because this, I'm just going to, this is an opinion, but it's a pretty educated opinion. That's a bad translation. Yeah. Um, that word for exercise authority is used never in the Bible, ever. Like, the actual Greek word. Um, and originally, when the... So, here's why it's a bad translation. I don't think this is malicious. We had only three other examples of this Greek word ever. Or maybe it's six. Three or six. Ever. When we translated. Now, we have... I think it's close to 600. Maybe it's 300. Maybe I'm getting my sixes and threes mixed. <laughs> And what we've come to learn about this word is that it's much closer to usurping authority. And it's a violent term. Yeah, it's hostile. And, and I mean, like, kill the king, yes. usurp. Yeah. Not just, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, I think about, uh, was it Kanye and Taylor Swift? Uh, yeah. Hey, hey, yeah, hey, yeah. I, you know, you're great, but I'm just saying, you shouldn't have won. Yeah. Like, I guess you could call that, like, <laughs> taking over authority rudely. <laughs> Kanye being Kanye. <laughs> I know that was forever ago. I don't know why that was my first. And so I think about, and I think I want to kind of bring back into this conversation, the heart of the Lord. Yeah. The heart of the Lord with women not speaking in the church, not talking over is so that people can be edified. The heart of the Lord and, I don't know, not having violent usurping in the church. Uh, um. <laughs> um, but in the fact it's women over men. So that's where I want to talk about Gnosticism. Okay. The fact that Ephesus, first of all, Ephesus was not necessarily a patriarch, but it had some, like, big patriarch. I, didn't Ephesus follow Athena, right? Yeah. They had a big, their goddess. Oh, you mean matriarch. Yes. Oh, rather shoot, than yes. Rather Whoa. than patriarch. Matriarch. We were not sure where you were going with that. Yep. <laughs> I, I just used the wrong word. Uh. My bad. So, their, their main 
spiritual guide, as far as they're concerned, I guess, is Athena. It's a woman. It's yeah. a woman of deep wisdom. Mm-hmm. I wonder why Gnosticism, which literally means knowledge and now means secret knowledge, we understand. Huh. There's a reason Ephesus is a hotspot for <laughs> Gnosticism, because they believe that women, like their woman goddess Athena, gives secret knowledge. Yeah. Um, a large part of Gnosticism is the idea that there's a... Wisdom, s- oh, shoot, her name wisdom is... Wisdom and war, actually. Yes. So yes. that usurping, so, that violent, violent usurping. wise usurption. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, uh, Gnosticism does have this idea of, like, a woman goddess named Sophia. She's, like, the other half of Yahweh's kind of sometimes. Is that what you named the dog after? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know this until very recently. Uh, lines up. So, like, there's a lot. The other thing is, Gnostics were not all together. Some believed one thing, some believed another. Some believed separate part of God, some believed totally different God. Yeah. But there are two things that are really common and that we now actually have Gnostic texts for that yep. show up in this verse. What's the problem with studying Gnosticism? It's all hidden. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> so we actually do have a lot of issues with that, right? And every text we find keeps saying, like, this is the secret truth that you are not allowed to share, but he wrote it down. Uh, <laughs> well, it's a good thing somebody wrote it down sometime. <laughs> right. So a couple things. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, part one. Bar one. Gnostics have... So th- we found two sets of Gnostic Flip teaching. It. One is the idea that they were one being and then separated. Oh, okay. The other one is a lot worse. <laughs> as far as we want to talk about heresy. The world was created, in the Gnostic view, by an evil lesser god. That evil lesser god created Adam. And from Adam, our good holy god tried to create Eve. Or at least maybe Sophia or her equivalent. She's got a different name, I believe, um, in the actual text. That god tried to kind of help correct it because she's actually the one that created the evil god by trying to procreate by herself. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so Sounds kind of weird, but okay. Whack, right? Again, they, so, just, they so, weren't very good at biology, I guess. Well, well <laughs> yeah. Um, what's, what, what do they do with the fall, then? So that's part two, right? So we have to correct that Adam was first and then Eve, and it's not like this weird little creation. It is not that. It's not this weird creation where women were created <laughs> to save the universe from this evil thing, whatever, right? Um, but then, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Here's the thing. We like to take that and mean, yes, women were deceived and evil, and they sinned first, and boo, women. Sounds women. good to me. Women are less smart. The Gnostic teaching is that Adam was not deceived. Eve was not deceived. Eve was enlightened. Whoa. She ate from the garden, the, the tree in the garden, whether the serpent's involved in the story or not. Because she was enlightened. She gained so secret knowledge. So the fall is not order, a fall. The fall is not a fall. The fall is the gaining of the secret knowledge that might lead us back to the actual good gods instead of our evil god, Yahweh. So, in in some, maybe this isn't like super common in Gnostic belief systems, but maybe the snake was a uh, avatar of Sophie, mm. or perhaps, I don't know, a servant of the good god? Potentially. So, some of what I read about the text that we have 
don't bring the snake in really okay but i've read other studies from other scholars that talk about it i'm just not sure what sources they pull that from and it's it's all secret anyway so who knows yes (laughs) so that's (laughs) some of the difficulty and those are like those are the gnostic texts that are super popular in ephesus in which timothy is doing his little thing yes and so paul writes like this stuff yes and it's got like the I'm, I'm just kind of like trying to paraphrase here so i'm tracking yeah it's got like the exact refutations yes to the gnostic belief system yes and then so it's also we just kind of ignore it but earlier i believe it's even in the same chapter um so he said paul writes in three four um this is good pleasing to the sight of our savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth right sounds good to me i like that um and i believe in this letter he also somebody can fact check this if you want but he writes about not following endless genealogies and myths i'll look that up real quick thank you that's somewhere and i'm like 90% sure it's Paul, but I'm not 90% sure it's in this letter, this letter to Timothy at the very least. Yeah. So Paul is putting this emphasis early on the letter at the very least of coming to the knowledge of truth and everybody, oops, sorry, angry, <laughs> <Get excited. laughs> but everybody, not those with secret knowledge. Yeah. Yes. That's in first yeah. Timothy one. One. Okay. So it's the chapter before the Thank chapter you. right before that. He says, don't follow genealogies. Don't follow this endless myth. Then he comes and he says, God wants all to come to knowledge of the truth. So the Gnostic understanding is there are um, different two or three different forms of people. You're either a flesh-bound person or a spiritual person or somewhere in between. Yeah. Um, and so, no, no, no. God wants everybody Doesn't to come salvation. The, the spiritually right? bound people. And then yeah. he starts into this deeper teaching about women need to be adorned with modesty, self-control, good works for the Lord they don't they need to learn quietly and stop usurping authority because what they're teaching that's not in the text but if we understand gnosticism be, it's this unsaid piece of they're supposed to be quiet Ma- eve wasn't born first eve didn't bring salvation eve did transgress and brought her husband with her and then 15 is a really weird one people don't like to touch um but the people who do touch it use it to say that if you don't have a child then you have no purpose for the kingdom of god as a woman Yikes. which Whoops. really hurts infertile women just putting that there okay but 15 yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness so there's that that weird through um word is dia and it's through, on the reason of, during, by means of, or with. Like, Dia has a lot of different re- things that may not be through. And okay. the Gnostic belief is that bearing children is part of serving the evil God that created this world. And that would mean that you are stuck in your flesh and you cannot come to secret knowledge and be saved. Right. So if you, if you have kids, you're not a good Gnostic. Not a good Gnostic. Because to be a good Gnostic, you have to remove yourself as much as you can from this world. Yes. So, and that's not because the flesh is, that's not like our understanding of flesh makes you sin. Yeah. It's an understanding of flesh is from an evil God. Yahweh yeah. is evil. Literally, that's basically oh, where it goes. Yikes. I'm oh, going to clip that. <laughs> 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 oh, but the new like, the new testament god in their worldview is different. 
is a different god. Wait. What? So Yahweh creates the world, takes Israel, and is this mean, jealous god. And Jesus Christ is... And Jesus is sent by the actual ultimate god to start bringing secret knowledge to those who can handle it. So what do they do against a verse that says the mystery of Christ is... Well, they don't follow the scripture. They don't follow the scripture. So that's pretty obvious. The scriptures are just like shades of their real super secret Different Different levels of Gnosticism of either everything's kind of pieces of the truth and you need to seek wisdom, Mm -hmm. and that's just a lie because you follow the evil God. Okay. Oh, yikes. And so this whole like idea of saved through childbearing might be literally... She will be saved through childbearing. It could literally be, like, through the time of childbearing. Not, like, because she gave birth. Uh. But, like, yes, through childbearing also she can be saved. But it's about continuing in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. All of which, these women trying to usurp authority, teach false genealogies secretly to only some. And all these myths and secret knowledge and all that. Okay. So... This first Timothy two bomb, yes, has a lot more going on behind the scenes yeah. than we had any idea. Yes, and I think that's where I'd like to come back to the yeah. idea that to take the scripture at face value is the best way to honor it. I think it might be the most dangerous way to end up believing in untruths simply out of ignorance. Yeah, I don't think most complementarians are out to oppress women. Yeah, and, and I, I will say, too, like, this idea of secret knowledge and Gnosticism and all this stuff, like, the hidden truth behind the truth. Um, if we don't understand the danger of that, I think it slips in. Yeah. I think it's really important to understand the text, but also the things surrounding the text. That's why you look at the flood. I am totally cool with the Book of Enoch not being canonical. I think it's weird. I think it's out there. I don't know how helpful I think it really is, but it really does help to fill in the context surrounding the Genesis 6 flood account. Right. And they, a lot of Jews at that time, did consider it scripture. And canonical, yeah. And they believed that the, at the, even if not every single word, word, the story Mm -hmm. was true. Exactly. And so, even, even, you know, you can go back and forth, but, like, the biblical writers had this book of Enoch in their back pocket thinking about it when they wrote the Genesis 6 account. And so, if we are to inform our decision-making of the text that we're approaching using these outside sources, even the awful ones, such as the, the Gnostic texts <laughs> <Gnostic, laughs> that are just out there and, and heretical, right. you know, I, I wouldn't consider the book of Enoch heretical, but I would consider Gnosticism <laughs> yes. a straight-up heresy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, informing our reading of the text can help us really decide what to do with it. Is this a prescriptive text, right. and what does it mean? Right. And it so is. if this text is pushing back against Gnosticism, what does it mean for us now? What do we do with it now? Maybe not create new versions of the creation story that just sound better and make us feel... Special and knowledgeable. Okay, so special, knowledgeable, all that stuff. Um, do we just like forget what this says about women? Yeah. Mm, no, but I think we have to be careful not to apply it only to women. Because 
so in this context, the issue is the women of Ephesus who follow the goddess Athena and are kind of in a matriarchal understanding, or at least closer to it, are coming in, taking the gospel of Christ, twisting it, and trying to teach it to the church. Yeah. I think we have to be very, very careful of people who come in, take our gospel, and twist it. Yeah. I think it is much less... I think, I don't know, some other religion... Maybe let's even pick Hinduism. I think Hinduism is less dangerous to the gospel of Christ than, let's say, universalism. That mm-hmm. teaches you that Christ can be true, gospel. but everything else can be true. When Christ is... In, by his own declaration, there's one way to the Father through me, me, right? And so I think it's much more dangerous to say... You can believe what you believe, but then also a little bit of this. Instead of, I am just on the opposite side of the planet doing something else with different gods. That's yes. an entirely different belief system. And at that point, it's not about making the gospel false. It's about choosing to believe something entirely different than the gospel. Right. Yeah. And so, so with that, um, I will say that new universalist progressive Christian doctrine is starting to become more and more pervasive. Yeah. And it's commonly associated with more, um, I, I guess, liberal belief systems. Yeah. Sometimes. I, I, it mirrors Gnosticism quite a bit. Right. And, and it does. But I will say, like, most complementarians err more on that conservative Christianity side. Right. And so most egalitarians are, are more of that, almost towards that progressive Christianity side. And so I want to say, as a, a, an informed egalitarian... The um, the egalitarianism that's put within context of the scriptures should be very anti-progressive doctrine, Christianity, <laughs> universalist, kind of everybody can do what they want kind of thing. Because you either ignore the scripture and say you do what you want, right. or you look at the scripture and you say, oh, this is actually about not twisting the revelation of the Lord and giving authority to people who are twisting the revelation of the Lord. And then also with the First Corinthians 14 verses, and not speaking out of turn and disrupting the order of yeah. the church body's edification of one another. Yeah, and so that's, that's pretty much what I wanted to say is like the egalitarian is not ignoring the scriptures for the sake of doing what we want. Right. But trying to stay loyal to the scriptures at the cost of our lives, honestly, yeah. if I'm the cost of- shooting it straight. Yeah. My comfort, the cost of... Honestly, okay. I know I'm a very, like, loud leader, woman, whatever. I don't love to be. I believe I've been called to be. Naturally, I don't think I am. It would have been way easier to yeah. be like, oh, yep, I can't lead. I'll just, I'll just chill. <laughs> I'll yeah, just no, sit. honestly. And so, like, as much as now, I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that I did dig into the scriptures and didn't take them at face value, but low-key, being a leader is a cost to my comfort yeah but i believe it's a gain to the kingdom and that's not a prideful i'm the best option here by any means but to in humility serve the kingdom is worth every cost it takes right and that might mean there are some people who are upset because we do dig Mm -hmm. there's might mean that there are people who upset that we dig instead of just saying oh ignore that yeah a lot of people just want to say, oh, that's that's such an old book, we don't have to listen to all of it. No, no. 
Not at all. Yeah. That's an old book, so we have to work harder to understand it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And the, I mean, the Bible being out of date is not a shortcoming on its yeah. part, but a trial that we can overcome on our yeah. part. And I was going to say, like, I, you ultimately might be saying the same things. But the heart is yeah. wrong. I mean, I think we we see that biblically. Um, I think there's a verse in Romans that talks about the Jews would have had righteousness through the law, but they did not because they didn't pursue it with faith. Yeah. And so if you if your pursuit of being a woman leader in the church or you know if we want to go back to the household and the marriage thing your pursuit of having a spiritual at the very least say in the decisions of your household as a woman is because that's what you want yeah it's not in faith yeah if it's, it's a desire if it's out of that even even if it's just a lust for power yeah that's a problem. And even yeah. if for that, a man or a woman, though. Yeah. And even if that desire for power is for the love of the people around you and you want to benefit them, if it's without God, if it's without consideration to what he desires, and if you're trusting your own knowledge and power, how quickly do we become Gnostics? Yeah. How quickly do we say, well, actually, no, I think it does, it does make more sense that they were enlightened. Because, I mean, if they were never enlightened, maybe, you know... Christ never would have ended up coming. You know, like how quickly... Yeah. You can just descend into these myths and the big what-ifs and the things and, and you miss this critical, crucial story. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have um, any other closing thoughts about egalitarianism, complementarian? What does this look like? Um, other things like that. I, I think we pretty much went through... We ran, we ran the gamut of, of yeah. a lot of this argument. Now, again, like we didn't dig into every bit of yeah. every argument, you not know, at all. but we hit the big ones. Yeah. I'm just going to say, again, we're not trying to, uh, by any means, argue for one side or the other, but explain the story of why, um, why we believe what we believe. Yeah. And, and if, you know, if we do come into more knowledge a year from now and everything kind of gets twisted on its head or whatever we'll record again we'll do this again um <laughs> but i think it's important to my uh, well it is not to argue i think of there's a verse uh paul is on trial speaking to the king agrippa yeah, yeah. and he says would you convince me to become a christian in 15 minutes his point is not like he's arguing but he says, of course I would. Like, yeah. And so would, would I convince you to believe that women can be equal parts in ministry, but that it requires education and empowerment and submission to not just the men, but to the spirit and yeah. mutually to one another, that Ephesians 5, 21 through 27 begins with all of the church submitting to one another, not just women. And so if I had anything to say like yes of course i would have you convinced yeah but i want you to be convinced not by some podcast that's an echo chamber you agree with arguments or anything like that but the ability now to go seek on your own yeah come to your own conclusion on your own journey and absolutely if you have questions um reach out to one of us look through the resources that we've put in the description uh our email address that we really use for a lot of these questions i think whyhousechurch at gmail.com 
No punctuation, no, nothing. No punctuation. Y is like the word Y, not the letter. W-H-Y. Y-Housechurch <laughs> at gmail.com. Um, ultimately, there are... That that address right now is mostly the um, elders of our house church. Not that we won't source information from the whole, but as we're meeting more house churches, I can't promise you that this email will only be ours, but since most of the people listening to this probably got this from somebody in our house church based in Indianapolis. Yeah. That is likely who you'll be speaking to. But don't be shy. Um, Be blessed. Thanks for hanging with us.